would you turn to Colossians, the book of Colossians chapter 1, and we're in verse 18, we're going through the book of Colossians verse by verse, and what a marvelous book this has been so far, and so we find ourselves today in verse 18 of Colossians 1. Let me read this verse <clears throat> to all of us. And it says, He is, that's Jesus Christ, also head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. Well, we're halfway through this marvelous ancient hymn and that has one singular intended purpose and that is to exalt the person of Jesus Christ higher than all creation, much higher than angels and men. He is ascribed the preeminence. That is, he is ranked in the first place, place of honor place of reverence and worship as the God of heavens and earth. This hymn is nearly divided into two parts. The first part we covered last week, and it speaks of Christ's supremacy over creation. The second part, it speaks of Christ's supremacy over redemption, or that is His church. Now, way of review, very quickly, is that the first part that we discussed is that Jesus is elevated, highly exalted as the God of the universe. And why is this the case? Because He is the Creator of all. And not only is He the Creator of all, but all things were created through Him and this powerful, short but mighty word, for him, everything that came into existence has that one purpose, and that is to manifest Christ. Nothing in the universe exists without this single goal. From the tiniest bacteria living in your kitchen bench to the largest sun, from the depths of the seas to the peaks of the mountains, from the most boring person to the most entertaining, from the godliest person to the most tyrannic, cruelest person, everything exists for Christ. That includes you and I. That includes the person sitting next to you, in front of you and behind you. We exist. For that one singular person. And not only is Jesus the creator. But he's also the sustainer. Everything is controlled by his mighty grip. Not even one single muscle fiber would contract. Without Jesus sustaining it. That was last week. And the second part of this hymn is that Jesus exalted above all as Lord and Savior of his people. He's exalted above all. Now, why is this the case? One, because he's the champion. He's the one who spearheaded the church in resurrection. Two, because the full fullness of God, the totality of all that is divine is in Him. Three, because we have peace with God through Him. So with one sharp arrow that is heart-piecing truth about Christ, after another arrow, after another arrow, and we find this curtain that is hiding the identity of Christ is torn asunder. And the veil is pulled back. And we find Christ through this hymn so attractive. We find him seated majestically in his fearfully wonderful throne, glaring with blazing glory, worthy to be adored by both angels and men. Well, 
<clears throat> All of this is to ask this precise question. Is Jesus preeminent in your life? I'm here this morning as the messenger of God, the preacher of God's word. And I'm called to seek only one person's approval, and that is God. And so I am compelled to ask this pointy, soul-searching question, even at the beginning of this message. To every single person in this room. And you must answer it in your heart. Does Jesus have the first place in your life? <clears throat> well, I'm here today, aren't I? I'm, I'm listening to a sermon. I'm not really distracted by babies. I'm not texting. I'm paying full attention, so Jesus Christ is the first in my life. Well, does he have the first place in the way you deal with your families? Does he have the first place in your marriage? Does he have the first place in whether playing or praying, working or worshipping, talking or walking? Does he have the first place in everything? Because this is the purpose of this hymn. This is the purpose of our existence, of all creation. Let us have Christ as the ruler, as the preeminent one, let us give Christ his rightful place in our lives. This is my purpose of giving this message this morning. I am here today to persuade you why Jesus Christ must be exalted in your own personal life. So, how are we going to do this? Well, again, we ask that question that we've been asking every, almost every week. Who is this Jesus Christ that must have the first place in our lives, in everything? Paul, in this little verse, gives us a metaphor that, that describes our relationship with Jesus Christ, us, the church. And this metaphor has been hidden in the Old Testament. You won't find it there. It's left in the dark as mystery. What is this metaphor? We start reading verse 18. And it says, He is also head of the body, the church. Now we know... Uh, because we are very good students of the Bible, that there are many metaphors that describe our relationship with Jesus. And they're all good, of course. They're in the Bible. And each metaphor describes an aspect of that relationship that we have with Jesus. We have that metaphor where we're the family of God and speaks of Christ as our elder brother who takes care of his siblings. We, we know that the church is represented as a kingdom and Christ reigns as supreme king and we are his citizens and he in his love rules and reigns in his kingdom. Another metaphor is that Jesus is divine and we are his branches and we are nourished and we are sustained by him. And there are many other metaphors, like let me give you some more. We're the building and Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We're the flock and he's the shepherd. We are the bride and he's the groom. All these are great. All these are great metaphors. But if we study the Bible carefully, I believe that the head to the body, this metaphor, is absolutely perfect metaphor. It depicts exactly who Jesus Christ is to us and we are to Him. In fact, in this metaphor, it actually encompasses, it swallows all the other metaphors in the Bible. 
So Paul picks up this biological connection and places this anatomy before us and basically tells us this is how we are interconnected to Christ. This perfect representation of how intimate we are to our Lord. What does this metaphor mean? What does Paul have in mind when he introduced this metaphor? And even more importantly, is how does Jesus being our head and we are his body, how does that exalt him above all? Because as I said, this is the very purpose of this hymn and it ought to be the purpose of this message. How does it exalt his name? What we want to do today is look at five different aspects of the headship of Christ over his church. Five different. So we turn it around and we see this multifaceted, wonderful metaphor. And we want to exalt Christ in the light of all these five aspects. The first Jesus being the head of the church, it speaks of the bond of peace. Uh, the, sorry, the bond of love. Bond of love. The covenant of love. The headship of Christ to the church. It speaks of a loving marital relationship. That's what the scripture speaks of. In Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, says, Paul says, For the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. Alright. Very well. What does that mean that Christ is the head of the church? How does our Lord relate to us in his headship? What does Paul have in mind? In verse 25, a couple of verses later. It says, husbands love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So our covenant with our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is established in that bond of love. This is what it means that he's our head. Verse 28 of Ephesians 5, we'll continue on. And it says, so husbands ought to also to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. <clears throat> Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. What does this mean? Well, nobody ever wakes up in the morning and says, well, I'm getting sick and tired of my left foot. Right? Nobody does that. Or, or, or I really hate my belly button. Nobody says that. All right, nobody says, oh, I've got an idea. I'm getting sick and tired of my pinky finger. It's about time to chop it off. No one says stuff like that. Right? We love our body parts. Just like a head loves the rest of its body. So does our Lord Jesus love his bride, the church. This is why it says in Isaiah 62 verse 5. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Every time a miserable, sinful soul comes to Jesus Christ for salvation and enters into this marital covenant with Him, you know what happens? A massive celebration breaks out in the heart of Christ. Jesus Himself tells us that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that would repent. Again, it must be said, some unbelievers, I, I go to them and I ask them, why would you not come to Christ? They would say, I have so much sin. I shamed him all my life. I don't know if he would ever accept me because of the amount of wicked, sinful lifestyles that I've been living in. 
as if if that sinner would come to Jesus, that Jesus would just sigh and he would have his shoulders slouched and he would say, well, well, since you came to me, fair enough, I guess I would have to accept you reluctantly. Do you know what happens when, how God feels when a sinner comes to him for salvation? Let me read to you a wonderful nugget verse in, in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.17. It says this, Yahweh your God in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. Not us coming to Christ with shouts of joy. It says God himself will have shouts of joy when he reigns over you. Friend, when you come to Christ with your sins, Desiring for Him to save you. Jesus will never throw stones at you. Do you know what He will do? He will throw His arms around you. And He would embrace you. And rejoice over you. As though a head would, would rejoice. When it saves its body part. If Christ loved His church to the point. That He gave up himself or her long before she even existed. If he endured such great pain for her, like a woman in childbirth, until he would atone for her, will he not rejoice over her when she's saved? Of course he will. He loves her. As your own very head Loves your own body. And when you come to him to be saved, they will feel like he just saved his very own body from eternal torment. He will gladly connect you mysteriously to himself to be your head and you'll be part of his body. And in his love, not only would he rejoice over you for salvation, no, but more than that, he would offer himself totally to you in every way. And that's the second aspect of that metaphor. The first one, it speaks of the bond of love. The second, it speaks of sharing ownership. Sharing ownership. What does this mean? Jesus Christ, precious and lovely as he is, he becomes ours. All of himself becomes all of our head. And only our head. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> Have you ever heard someone would say, well, these shoes, my body owns it, but not my head. Have you ever heard someone speaks like that? Or someone would say, oh, this, this hat or this beanie, my head owns it, but not really the rest of my body. That doesn't make sense. Or what mentally crazy person that would say, oh, that my head is going to see the movie, but my body's going to go shopping. It's crazy talk, right? No. Where the head goes, the body goes. And everything the head owns is owned by the body and vice versa. So also with Jesus Christ, our head. His perfect righteousness is legally ours. We must remember this. Our sins that are many are legally His. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of God's strength, all of Jesus' power 
is at our dis- disposal. Ephesians 1.19 All of Christ's comfort, peace, mercy, grace become ours. And we are so mystically, in, in such, a, such a, an amazing, mysterious way, connected to our head that the scripture would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. When our head died, we died. When our head rose from the dead, we rose from the dead. That's what Romans 6 tells us. And even when he ascended on high and took this place at the, at the right hand of the Father, we ascended. And Ephesians 2 tells us that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. What a stunning truth, brothers and sisters. What an awesome truth that we need to reflect on again and again. That His punishment is our punishment. The righteousness of His are our own. And even His glorification. And do you know what else? Because He is our head. And there is sharing of ownership. When you sin, brother, He's grieved. When you're going through pain, it's His pain. When you're persecuted, what does Jesus say? He is persecuted, right? This is why the scripture says, in all their affliction, he was afflicted. For he who touches you, touches the apple of, my, of his eyes. Or simply put, he is our head. Meaning, we are fully his and he is fully ours. This is Christ, our head, brothers and sisters. How can he not have the preeminent place in our lives? Right? Headship meaning bond of love. Meaning transferred of ownership. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And number three, Jesus being the head of the church It means he's the origin. And I believe that this is what Paul is saying here. So that Paul says, and he is the beginning. He's the origin. He is the source, the giver of life to the church. The head houses the brain. And his brain is responsible to keep all the internal organs Alive through the nervous system. Gives it life. So also Jesus being our Lord. Being our head. His sacrificial death. What did it do for the church? It brought life to the church. He's a giver of life to his church. Just like Jesus created the world he's a creator of the world so also he is the founder of the church jesus said upon this rock i will build my church all life of the church flows out of jesus christ he's the originator of regeneration the initiator of redemption he is the one that ushered in reconciliation he is the beginning the beginning of Everything to do with the church. The beginning of our sanctification. The beginning of our glorification. He's the initiator. The originator. He is the beginning. But not only the beginning. The fourth aspect of Jesus being ahead. Which is um, closely tied to to the previous point, is that he is also the sustainer of the church. Not just the originator, but he's the one that maintains, the maintainer of the church. Again, the brain is connected to the rest of the body, and and through the spinal cord, I checked it out um, on the internet, and I found that the brain allows, what this allows the brain to do is it transports uh, 
um, and regulates the, the, the vitamins and the minerals to be fed to all the organs and the limbs. <clears throat> and so is Jesus to the church. Being the head, he feeds the church. Colossians 2.19, it says that the head, that is Jesus, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and the ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. So the church is, is being a body is, is like a living organism. It constantly needs nourishment. It needs strength and life. It needs to, to live and, and to grow. And Jesus being an organic head, he supplies all the church needs. When a church is sick or feels despaired, when the church needs comfort, what does Jesus do? Jesus presents himself as a tender, caring friend. We long to be in his presence. And what does Jesus do? Through being ahead, he, he comes mysteriously and embraces the church and nourishes and cherishes the church. He gives his beloved sustaining grace when we're hard-pressed. What about think of all the precious gifts that he lavishes upon us? All the precious gifts. Are we malnourished? Do we lack spiritual minerals and vitamins to grow? Like, like what? What do you mean by that? Let's be practical. Do you feel weak? Christ says, here is a free gift of encouragement to strengthen my body. Are you wounded? Do you feel like you need the touch of Christ's mercy? Christ says, here is a free gift of mercy. Use it to lift up my body. Do you need correction? Are you confused? Are you disoriented? Do you need clarity? Here are gifts of exhortation, gift of counseling, gift of teaching, preaching, wisdom, and on and on and on. And just like the brain always working behind the scene, keeps on nourishing and never stops healing, so is Christ our head to his body, the church. His very breath and blood flow through our gifts and nourishing us all. This is our, our head, Jesus Christ. One would say, well, stop, stop here, okay? Let's just be realistic for a moment. Why? What's going on? Well, why is it that I feel so malnourished, spiritually speaking? I mean, if Jesus is our head and he's the one that nourishes and lavishes and all his beautiful stuff, how is it that I don't feel like I'm growing in my love? How is it that I feel like I'm stunned? I'm not, I'm not reaching forward. How is it that I feel weak, spiritually speaking? Doesn't make sense. Is he, is he perhaps stingy? No, God forbid. Well, is he, is he giving just small doses of, of gifts and that's why? No, that is not why. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. Number one, first of all, we need to establish this fact. Jesus is so generous. He's so kind. And he gives gifts in abundance. He loves his bride. He would never hold back Anything that is good for the bride. Well, what's going on? Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read two verses. We'll read verse 15 and 16. Never 
throw the blame at Jesus as though he is not good enough of a sustainer and provider and maintainer of his church. No. Look what it says. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him. Who is him? It tells you. Who is the head, even Christ? Very well, we understand that. He is our head. He provides, he supplies all that we need. Let's continue reading verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together. Well, yes, of course, the head holds all things together. <clears throat> By what every joint supplies. Ah, I thought it was Christ that is supplying. Yes, he is the one that supplies. But every joint takes from Christ. And what, what do the joints do? They also supply what they receive from Christ. Let's continue reading. According to the proper working of each individual part. According to. In accordance to. As much as every individual part is working. In other words, when everyone is working, every organ, every muscle fiber is working insofar as it is taken from Christ and gives to others, what happens? Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So again, let's go back to the human anatomy. So just like the human body, yes, the head supplies all the body needs. But if a muscle doesn't do its bit, what if, what if your bicep says something like this? says, well, since my brain uh, feeds me, that's great. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. What happens? You'll have a shrinked, good-for-nothing bicep, right? And you guys stand in front of the mirror and you try to go like this. And what happens to the muscle? It looks like flap, just a piece of fat sitting there, right? How come? Because it's only when the body moves. Only when each part steps up to the task and begins to work, then what happens? Then all the blessings of Christ that strengthen us will be given, will be supplied through each part and gives us power and vitality and will be healthy body, right? So the bottleneck is not because Christ somehow has become unfaithful or stingy or only gives just a little bit reluctantly. No. Bottleneck would be us when we are unfaithful members of the body. But Jesus Christ, Jesus is a sustainer of the church. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the crown of the body, his church. Amen. Fifth, fifth aspect of Christ being the head. What does it mean Christ is the head of the body? The fifth and the final aspect of Jesus' headship is the, is the fact that he's Lord over the church. Jesus Christ is Lord over everyone that comes to him and by faith lays hold upon Christ and is added to the universal church. Jesus Christ becomes Lord over him. Why is that? How is it that the head to the body is like Jesus being Lord over the church? Well, the head got a brain again, right? And that brain is, is a, has got a central role in controlling the body. It controls 
the movements of the body, right? It controls the digestive system, the cardiovascular system, the nervous system. It regulates the heart rate. The head controls the body. It directs the body. It governs the body. The body does not direct the head. The head is the one that directs the body, right? And to be the head of the church, it means that Jesus controls every aspect of the church. Every ministry of the church. Jesus alone gives direction to the church. All ministries exist to elevate Christ. Whether our prayers, our songs, our sermons, whether our finance. Our gatherings from the beginning of the Lord's day till the end of the Lord's day. Whenever we have fellowship, Christ permeates all and reigns over all. And all aspects of the church have that one singular purpose. And that is for Christ to be exalted as Lord and Savior. That is the purpose of the church. This is why we gather. In fact, not only why we gather, even when we go marching out in the streets, our motive is Christ. The content is Christ. And it is Jesus Christ that regulates everything that happens in the church as well as what the church does. Any church... That disconnects itself from Jesus Christ as its head and Lord is like is like a body that would disconnect itself from the head. It just dies. And the opposite is true. When we know and we are intentional to make sure that Jesus is exalted, ultimately exalted in everything that we do, this is how we grow, this is how we become healthy. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Brothers and sisters, I think we live in an era where this has to sound the loudest in all of the churches around us. And everybody must know this, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The government is not the head of the church. It's never meant to be. The Pope is not the head of the church. No, the pastor is the head of the church. No, no one is the head of the church except Jesus Christ alone is the head of the church. He alone shuts and no one opens. And if he opens, no one shuts. Jesus is the head of the body and he never, never Gave anybody nor any of any other kind of authority to be the neck between the head and the body. He directs the church directly. Now, on what ground does he reign supremely as Lord over the body? We'll continue reading now in Colossians. Colossians 1 again. It's the fact that he's the firstborn. From the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? It means he's the first to rise with this immortal body. You know, you, you read this, okay, resurrection. Well, you know, there are some other people the scripture speaks of that rose from the dead, like Lazarus. Yes, they did rise from the dead, but they're not the firstborn from the dead. Wait a second, I thought they rose, rose from the dead before Jesus died and rose from the dead. So they should be firstborn. No, that's not what it's saying here. He's ranked the firstborn. In fact, if you want to look at it chronologically, think of this. When, when Lazarus rose from the dead, what happened to him afterwards? He died again. And where is his body? decomposed in a grave somewhere. But Jesus Christ, for him to be the firstborn from the dead, it means to rise and to never die again. Never. Jesus is the one and only to defy the law of death and mortality. 
Jesus' resurrection marks him out to be the head of the church. That is to say, his resurrection is license. It is the approval of heaven for him to be highly exalted and to rule as the head of the body, the church. Jesus is exalted. He's lifted up from his tomb in order to be the living, risen, reigning Savior, sovereign Lord over his body, the church. May I add one more thing before we finish the, four po- the five points? Please note that the body of any human never submits to the head, to its head, reluctantly, right? No, it does it willingly. And so does the church. The church loves the Lord, her head. She finds him desirable. She finds him beautiful, gracious. He is all sufficient in all things. So what does the church ought to do? The church ought to follow all the Lord's commands cheerfully and willingly. Brothers, can we meditate on these five aspects? But for a moment, just before we finish the message, can we meditate on these five points? As I reflected on it, I just wrote something, and I just want to share it with you all. We, we who are so unlovable because of our wicked hearts, who of us would dare to say, I look inside of me, I've examined my own internal motives, and I came out and said, wow, what a beautiful person am I. Mirror, mirrors in the wall. We don't do that. Brothers, if we are truly honest ourselves, and we go and examine and reflect, we find ugliness, mess inside. Yet, we're not just loved. We're not just loved. But we are connected to the head whose name is love. Christ is love. And he chose to connect to us as though he is our head and we are his body. We who are poor and naked, not only are we made rich, but our head is the owner of all things, possessor of everything. We who were dead in sin, not only are we made alive, but forever we have the giver of life as our head. We who are weak and defeated creatures, not only are we empowered, but our head is the all-powerful and sustainer of all things. We who are rebels, lost without a kingdom, not only do we belong to the kingdom now, not only are we found, but our head just happened to be the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Brothers, we've got to open our hearts and mind to this wonderful, inconceivable reality. For eternity to come, we will never be able to plunge the depth or reach the height of what it means that Jesus is our head. Aren't these enough reasons for Christ to have the first place in our lives? What's the point of all of this? Where is Paul heading with this text? He tells us, so we move on. We move on with the text and he says, so that, that is the purpose, the end of all things, in conclusion, he himself, Jesus And Jesus alone. That's what he himself means. Nobody else but Christ. Will come to have first place in what? Everything. Everything. That is to say that Jesus is supreme. That he is in a class of his own. 
You can't figure him out. That he towers over all. That he is above all. The exalted one. Brothers, does Christ have the first place in our lives? Or how we ought to search our hearts this morning and answer this pointed question, is Christ all in all in my life? Is He? Is He all in all in me? We must prefer Jesus far above all other sweet things. We must consider Jesus altogether lovely. Or how we ought to delight in Him as our head and we are His body. What does it mean to be the first place in everything? The one who has Christ as the first place in his life is the one who sees Jesus infinitely more attractive, the highest and the greatest of anything that is good. The one who sees Jesus as the first place in his life. He sees the world with all of its lustful desires. As vanity of vanity. Grasping of the wind. He knows. He's convinced that the world is passing away. And everything is going to burn. And so what does he do? He comes to Christ. And he wants to delight in him. Nothing is to be compared to Christ. We must count brothers and sisters. All family members. Finance. Friendship. May I say. As rubbish. In comparison to Christ. For Christ to have the first place in everything is to constantly prefer Him above all else. To count all but rubbish. All what? Pleasure of peace. Pleasure of relationships. Pleasure of knowledge of hobbies. All but rubbish. And we lay them all at the feet of of one singular pleasure. What is this pleasure? The pleasure of knowing Jesus. Brothers, I urge you this morning, let us give ourselves wholeheartedly to this Christ, who is preeminent. Let us say to Him that for His sake, we're willing to trample over our self-reliance, self-confidence. Let us throw these things away and let us give up ourselves to be wholeheartedly ruled by Christ. Well, as we come to the end, I want to appeal to those who have not yet come to Jesus Christ. Now that you heard this Amazing truth of who he is. He's so magnificent, so glorious, that every knee will bow before him. Whether on this life, on this side of eternity, or in the next side. Whether atheists, Mormons, Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, agnostics. Every man, every woman, every demon in hell will bow down to that glorious and magnificent Christ. And so will you, whether willingly, today, or unwillingly, when you see him face to face. Dear friend, in a lot of how good Christ is, I want to reason with you. I want to reason with you this morning. What pleasures are you seeking after that is so good? That is so worthy for you to reject Jesus in order to pursue after. Let us reason together. Share these pleasures with us. Tell us what are they. Show us the fruits of these pleasures. What true satisfaction do they give you? What long-lasting peace do they give you? Friend, if you, I dare you. If you find eternal life in them, 
If they offer you forgiveness of sins, then go ahead, reject Jesus. But if in pursuing them, you find that it's short-lived pleasure, and then you find yourself as though you're drinking a cup of bitterness. If your idol's only producing in you fear, torment, miserable loneliness. And you know that it's guaranteed eternal punishment. Then why in God's name are you so stubborn in not handing them over to Jesus? Friend, I urge you this morning, I offer you Jesus Christ. Jesus is the supreme Savior. No good works could you ever do that would help him. He is not to be helped. He's in a class of his own. He alone is able to stretch his, hand, his hands, one hand in heaven, and one hand is reaching out to you. And he says, hold on to me. I will save you. Oh, how Christ loves to save sinners. He rejoices over sinners when they come to him. Do not harden your heart when you hear his voice. The scripture tells us. Do not harden your heart. He offers you eternal life freely. Worship Him. Worship Him, friend, like, like Thomas did. Tell Him, Jesus Christ, You're my Lord and my Savior. You're my Lord and my Savior. You loved me. You died for me. You rose again to give me eternal life. I believe it. I want to live for You for the rest of my life. Tell him, Jesus, you have the right to, pre, to be the preeminent, to have the first place in this soul. I am rightfully yours by means of creation. So we talked about last week. And by means of redemption. You created me. And I believe that you have purchased me. Reign over me, Lord. Reign over me. May Jesus be highly exalted in your lives. May he rule and reign over your hearts and souls. For this is not just a good thing to have. It is the only right thing that would please him and will please you too. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, here we are. We want to align our hearts to the purpose of this text. We want to see Jesus ruling supremely and reigning over our lives. Give us, Lord, to see Jesus majestically seated in the throne in such a way that we would be broken inside if for every moment that we find Jesus not reigning over our lives. For every aspect in our life that we did not relinquish and hand over to Christ. Lord, give us, Lord, to live in a very real and genuine way for Jesus. For Him to reign over us supremely. To the glory of Your name. Amen.